0: What's up, Renaissance? How y'all doing this morning? My name is Aswan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Uh, As was announced, our mixtape series will be starting soon. But today we're finishing our distracted series. Has it been good? Yeah. 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 In our our distracted series, we've tried to to analyze these uh, seemingly- harmless things that distract us from our relationship with God. Social media, to-do lists, uh, comfort, the, the regret of our past. We've tried to examine those things and either navigate through them or help us avoid how they distract us from our relationship with God. Um, and for me, yo, this series has been dope. I think it's one of the best. It's uh, it, For me, like doing these series, when something really strikes you and hits you, it's always good. And man, I'm reminded that distraction is real. It's hard out here, right? Like distractions are everywhere. Everything could potentially be a distraction. Like, yo, you ever found your phone like in the refrigerator? You know what I'm saying? Or you found like your wallet in the closet? Like, yo, what was I think? I don't even know how I got there. I just had it. Tell me y'all have said this. I just had it. I just had it. Distraction is a real thing. But for me, uh, what's been super encouraging is to realize that distraction is subtle. This series has reminded me that distractions are so subtle. A lot of times they're embedded in our everyday things. Um, I was reading an article on leadership, a business article on leadership, and they talked about this uh, 1% change principle. And what they were saying is every year, if you just change and focus maybe on one thing, uh, you can develop over time and be better over time and you'll get better over time. You take one small adjustment to your leadership and and it'll work. They get that principle from the idea that if a plane starts out from here and is headed to a destination and it's one degree off of its trajectory, uh, if it goes just a short yardage, You won't really see the difference. It won't really matter. But if you're traveling across the country, that one degree being off is going to put that plane so far off course that it's it's not even really going to be able to get back. And I think distractions do that to us. Distractions, although sometimes seemingly insignificant, over time, they take us so far off our relationship with God. And you start looking back like, yo, how did I get here? Anybody? It's just me. That's just me. How did I get here? And I know that's been real for my life. Here's another way this series has been dope for me. Distractions could be good things. For the last 10 to 15 years, I've given my life uh, to full-time ministry. You guys know I work with a global organization called Young Life. We introduce adolescence to Jesus Christ and helped them grow in their faith. And yeah, no doubt. And I, for the last 10, 15 years, I've poured myself out in that reality. And here's what I've come to realize. Even the good things can be distractions. I stand before you saying, God, yo, I am sorry for the times that I've tried to do for you as opposed to be with you. And it's so real, even for me in ministry full-time, distractions happen. They're not just subtle, but even I got to watch how much emphasis I put on the seemingly good things that I'm trying to do for God, so much so that I miss him in the process. Woe is me if that happens, and I don't want that. I don't want that for me, and I don't want that for you. And here's my conclusion from kind of this distraction talk is we can run the risk of living surface-level spiritual lives. Distractions are so real that if we never take the time to think deeply or critically about things. If we never take time to go deeper where God could be inviting some of us, whether we've walked with God for a long time or you're just starting this relationship, God could be inviting us into this deep, intimate relationship, and we're going to stay on the surface because we're so distracted. We live in a distracted world. We are distracted people. My, my daughters uh, love golden girls. Go figure, Right? <laughs> Like, they, they love this show, Golden Girls. I don't even know how they got onto it, but they're both hooked. Like, you can find them any night at the Morris household watching, binging on, no, no, yes. I want to watch basketball. Um, but they love Golden Girls. But they are they're sitting on the couch, on the phone, with their laptops, apparently watching Golden Girls. I come in, yo, so, you know, can I watch? No, don't, I'm watching that. How are you watching that with 20 devices around you? Like, we're we're distracted people. It's just embedded in our culture. We're distracted people. We live distracted lives. And here's the danger. We could live spiritually surface level lives if we allow ourselves to continue to be distracted. Today, uh, I want to talk about comparison. Comparison is the last thing that we're going to look at and see how comparison distracts us from our relationship with God. Uh, and comparison, equally, is embedded in our culture, right? We do it all the time. We do it easily, easily, effortlessly, right? You can say, t- you look at, uh, this thing is red, this thing is blue. Uh, you, in school, you're kind of taught to do comparison almost as a skill, Right? Any educators out there? Like in school, you teach, you teach young people how to like look at comparison. You see this? This has this many things and this has that many things. And we look at the similarities and the differences. That's what comparison is. Um, there are like there's an industry for comparing things, right? There's a whole, there's what somebody put me on. I was looking uh, to get um, to, to go on vacation. So I was looking up some flights. Somebody was like, yo, use Hopper. You guys know what Hopper is? The app, it kind of compares prices for you. And what I love about Hopper, it gives me a little notification. Not now, Aswan. (laughs) Don't buy it right now. In two weeks, it's going to be a dollar (laughs) cheaper. Thanks, Hopper. But like our whole culture is embedded with comparing similarities and differences. But we're complex human beings, right? we don't just compare on the surface level for the sake of similarities and differences. We actually do uh, two other things. We, when we compare, we also make judgments or conclusions, or we draw conclusions about ourselves and others, and we engage our emotions when we make comparisons, right? Here's an example, the Knicks versus the Nets, right? Right now, the message has began. I mean, both our NBA teams, on the surface, if we want to do similarities and differences, both our NBA teams, they both kind of have not really been that great, you know. Although, you know, we can say the the Knicks can say they have a championship and all that kind of stuff, but they haven't been like championship caliber franchises for some time. <laughs> I am a fan. I, I know who that is too, um, and but here's the reality: when when you start to talk about comparison between the Knicks and the Nets, we've just entered. For those who don't know, we've just finished this like free agency um, kind of where you 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 recruit players to be on your team, and one organization has clearly decided that they want to be good sometime soon. <laughs> one organization, the Nets, have said. At some point in this next millennia, I want to be good. And so in free agency, they went out and paid for players that are going to make them good soon. But on the other hand, there's another organization that has seemingly told us. I'm hurt, y'all. They have told us that they want to win and that we should trust them. And they continue to let us down. But... When we compare, it's hard, it's hard, but it's true. When we compare, the reality is we don't just look at similarities and differences. We actually begin to draw conclusions. My conclusion about the Knicks front office is that they need to be replaced. Come on, somebody. Yes. And then we engage our emotions. It's a real thing. Comparison is a real thing. But here's the truth. Comparison reveals the condition of our hearts. Comparison, because we don't just keep it on the surface of similarities and differences, because we engage our emotions, because we draw conclusions about ourselves and others, comparison reveals the condition of our hearts. I think one of the things I love about the Bible is, uh, what I, that I love about Jesus, is he never really Bible beats anybody when we see him in scripture. What I mean by that, he's never trying to like puff up how much he knows. He's always just having dialogue with people and actually meeting them where they are. So much so, like his messages were parables. Parables were stories, just stories that had deep spiritual meanings. And he will often take out a parable and be like, hold that." And I, I love that. And, and Jesus here, there's a scripture and there's an account in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is talking to uh, some re- religious leaders, some Pharisees, and he gives them this parable. Luke 18, starting at verse 9. He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to, even, to, to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is Jesus. I tell you, this one, the one who was beating his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, this one went down to his house justified. Justified just means the relationship between him and God was, was good. There was, there was a, 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 a mending, a bonding there. There was a connection there. Uh, he was made right in God's sight. Um, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other. The Pharisee would have been known in the culture as somebody who who knew God and had a relationship with God and could tell other people about a relationship with God. But we see here that this Pharisee went away not justified. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. When we compare, we don't just look at similarities and differences Comparison reveals the condition of our hearts. What was the condition of this Pharisee's heart? It was full of spiritual pride. He looked at himself as so good, and so, and he, in his mind, he was so deceived that he was going to pray. He was doing kind of the right thing to go to pray, but his heart was far from God. In his heart, he was comparing himself to this seemingly worse off tax collector but yet he walked away unjustified. But what do we see? We see his heart was filled with spiritual pride. When we compare ourselves to others and other things, it reveals the condition of our heart. Now, for all of those who Follow Jesus and have said yes to Jesus being the Lord of their lives. To all the Christians in the room, step in my office for a second. I want to have a really quick moment with you and say, please don't be like the Pharisee. There's too many of us who portray this idea that we have it all together and that other people are lower than us in status. And that's so far from what God would desire. The church was designed so that broken people could run and say, yo, I need a medic. I need to go somewhere to find someone to help me with this heart condition that I feel that I can't explain. They want to run to the church, and then they meet the Pharisee-type people, and they run in the opposite direction. And then we wonder why people don't believe that God is good. Because there's too many Christians praying this prayer. Maybe you don't say it out loud, but here's the truth. It could be somewhere embedded in your heart. And we communicate in three ways, words, gesture, and spirit. And the spirit of how you say it could turn somebody in the opposite direction. To my Christians in the room, comparison reveals the conditions of your hearts. And I pray that we're not filled up with spiritual pride. So that more broken people could run to the church and say, I need help. And you welcome them and say, yo, I was just like you. I needed help too. And I found it here. Come in. Come dine with the God of the universe. Comparison reveals the condition of our hearts. Now, what if your response is not like that of the Pharisee? What if that's not you? What if that's not, uh, your heart is not filled with spiritual pride? How does comparison affect you? Uh, I was reading this article in Forbes, and it gave me some interesting perspective uh, about that question, and um, it talked about the the reality or the effects of what social media does to us, Uh, and it related it to this thing called the comparison factor. Listen here, it starts this way. Part of the reason Facebook makes people feel socially isolated, even though they may not be, is the comparison factor. We fall into the trap of comparing ourselves to others as we scroll through our feeds. Say amen. Y'all doing it. Some of y'all scrolled this morning. We scroll through our feeds and make judgments about how we measure up. One study looked at how we make comparisons to others' posts in upward or downward directions. That is, feeling that we either are better or worse off than our friends. In turn, it turned out that both types of comparisons made people feel worse. Both comparisons made people feel worse, which is surprising since in real life only upward comparisons Feeling another person has it better than you makes people feel bad. But in the social network world, it seems that any kind of comparison is linked to depressive symptoms. Any kind of comparison is linked to depressive symptoms. Comparison is a real thing, whether you are comparing yourself upward or downward, Comparison can distract us from our relationship with God. Yo, I've seen this play out in real life, right? Story. My wife was scrolling through her feed, and I know now that she found, like, a couple who was going on a date to a cooking class. (laughs) Thank you, Uncle Roger. Thank you. So she's looking at it, she sees, like, it's a beautiful thing. I can see her smiling. She's like, <laughs> right? And then, all of a sudden, I see her stop, and she looks at me. I peep her out of my peripheral. She looks at me, she's like, hmm. I'm like, all right, all right. I didn't, I didn't really know what was happening, so I'm like, hey, light skin, what's up? I, I thought she was, like, giving me an eye, Right? She scrolls, so the next day, you know, we're having a conversation like, hey, so what's up? Babe, what you, what you doing today? Um, I don't know what I'm going to do today because I got to cook for everybody in this house. I got to make sure I cook all week, every day. Could you learn how to cook? Do you know how to cook? All you want to do is eat. Can you cook? I was like, yo, we've been married 10 years, babe. You know I never cooked from the beginning. She all depressed now, walking around. Like, I need a husband that could cook. I wish I had a (laughs) husband that could cook. I'm like, geez, Louise. I've really seen this comparison is the devil. It's the devil. And I'm now I gotta learn how to. I gotta take some cooking classes, you know. But there's this reality that comparison, whether upward or downward, has an effect on us. It even affects our mental health. Comparison reveals the condition of our hearts. Comparing ourselves to someone or something is super dangerous, and it's really subtle. But here's why it's dangerous, because you and I were never designed to be compared to one another. Here's the beauty, that we were designed, the uniqueness of your hair, the shape of your shoulder, the complexion of your skin, the way that you talk, the things that you desire to wear are all designed by God. He thought about it uniquely for each and every one of us when he was knitting us together in his mother's womb, in your mother's womb. Every person has a unique set of fingerprints, not even identical twins have fingerprints There are over 11 biomechanical systems that function, operate in our body on their own. If that's not a sign of a creator, I don't know what is. You and I were designed to show the uniqueness, the beauty, the creativity, the innovation of God. We were never designed to be compared to one another. Plus, you're taking one person's highlights and looking at the whole of your life. There's so much danger in comparison. And here's the messed up thing. We all do it. And it happens so subtly. And if we don't get a hold of it, it can drag us, pull us. That word distracted means pull you apart. It can pull us apart from our relationship with God. Here's what God wants you to know for Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork. The New Living Translation says we are God's masterpiece. You know what's dope about a masterpiece? It stands on its own. It's dope in and of itself. You can put another masterpiece next to it, cool, but masterpieces stand on their own. That's how they become masterpieces. You and I. Or God's handiwork, his masterpiece. Jesus says in Matthew, when he's talking about, uh, he's talking to his disciples, he says, you are the, the uh, salt and light of the world, the light of the world. Then he goes and says, a light that's not supposed to be hidden under the table, but to be held on a hill so everyone can see you were uniquely designed so the world could see that there is a God and that God is good. We were never meant to be compared to one another. Here's the challenge. Comparison becomes a distraction in our relationship with God because we become more focused on the comparison than God himself. We become more focused on the comparison than God himself. And if I could be honest with us, you know what comparison reveals? that our hearts are broken, that our hearts are desperately yearning for something, and we're trying to compare these things to fill this brokenness in our hearts that we can't quite do. We can't quite fill it. We don't even know sometimes that they're there, but comparison reveals the brokenness of our hearts, and we're often searching to try to fill that brokenness. So how do we know how do you know that comparison has infiltrated your relationship with God? How do you know comparison has thrown you off course? What is the key indicator in the fact that comparison has distracted you from God? I want to look at another parable, and I think we'll get some answers here. It's in Matthew 20. Uh, it, is, it should be on the screens. Starts like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a day's wage, a denarius, for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. The owner of the vineyard said to to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius, a day's wage. Verse 10. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. I feel you. I ain't mad at that. But each one of them also received a denarius. If there was emojis in the Bible, this would be a frowning face, right? Like, I got questions. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These, who were hired last, worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, this is the landowner. He answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious? Or are you envious? Because I am generous. So the last will be first and the first will be last. What's happening here? What's happening in this text? Well, Jesus is using this parable to tell the Jews that, hey, yes, I've made this covenant relationship with you. I'm in relationship with you. You are my people and I am your God. But now that I have asked those who have been seemingly far away from me, I have given them the opportunity to step in and be in relationship with me. And I see that you're comparing yourself to them. And here's what we need to take away. One, God invites those who are the farthest from us into his kingdom. And we shouldn't be mad at that. But here's how we know that comparison has infiltrated our relationship with God when we see discontent. And I know that's not easy to receive, but when we see discontent, what happens here? The landowner says to him, um, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Knowing where his heart is still, the arrogance that he asked, culturally, it would have been understood. The fact that he even responded to the landowner would have been a form of arrogance. And what Matthew is doing here in his literary style is he's showing us that this dude had arrogance because he adds the word friend. He says, the landowner says, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. Man, I wonder if when we're making comparisons, is there something that we're searching for? Is the motivation behind our comparison envy? Comparison reveals the condition of our hearts, the brokenness of our hearts. And you know what discontent is a symptom, symptom of? Idolatry. And I know that's a fancy word. We may not know all the implications of that word, and I can't go into all of it now, but simply stated, idolatry is when the people of God would take the things that he created or anything other than him, they would take, they would take God off of his throne where he belonged. They would put him to the side and take those things, and they would put those things up, and they would fall and worship those things. You and I were designed to worship And when we take God off his throne and we put something else there, it's called idolatry. And I wonder if comparison is just revealing the fact that we got idols in our hearts. I wonder if when we're scrolling through our feeds and we're looking at other relationships or how people have progressed in their jobs or other ways that seemingly somebody has succeeded, we're looking at that and deep down there's this envy happening. And we're saying, I want it. And what we do is in the comparison process, we say, I want that more than God. Is God enough? Is not the fact that he said, come all who are weary and heavy laden, come and I will give you rest. Is all not enough? Does it not include you? The beauty about the gospel is that we see the deepest need that we have, although we might desire status or fame or success or more money or to be in a relationship or uh, to have more accolades, whatever it is, all those, although we have those desires, the deepest desire we have, whether you've been rocking with God for a long time or just for a little bit, the deepest need that we have is to be saved. And here's how we combat This symptom of discontent. Here's how we war against idolatry. One, we repent. We repent. And repentance is just a real Christian word to say you changed your mind. You changed your direction. I once was flowing this way. I once was looking at that job status as the thing that made me feel value, and now I'm changing my mind. The fact that God loves me enough to give his only son for me is enough for me to feel valued and to feel like I matter. Just a change of direction. Change your mind. We have to repent and put God back where he belongs, but peep this. It gets a little deeper for me, and this for me is where God crushes it. The reality is, if the greatest need that we had is to be saved, God provided, He satisfied the greatest need that the human heart could ever want in the fact that Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross for you and I. Jesus gave His life for you and I. Here's what we have to do. Here's something very practical. We have to trust and believe, and I don't have a formula to give you. I don't know what to tell you, but all I know is you have to take your faith, the little bit or the big, whatever ounce of faith that you have, you have to take it and you have to put it in the reality that God is going to provide your needs, both physically and emotionally. You have to put your faith there, and you have to trust. Paul says this to the church in Philippi. He says, God is going to uh, satisfy your needs according to his riches and glory. That's not only physical, but the richness of meeting you in the intimacy of the places where you feel alone. And so instead of comparing yourself to another relationship or another situation, uh, look to God for God, ask God to meet you in that, the depth of that intimacy. He can, and he will, and he wants to. I love Jesus gives this other parable when he's talking to his disciples in Matthew 6. It starts this way. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how, see how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor, and Solomon had great splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Here's what Jesus is saying Jesus is saying, "Listen, I know where you are in life. I know the seemingly undetected desires that are causing you to compare yourself one to another. But please know, you are my handiwork. You are my masterpiece. And please know that I, although those things seem like great deep desires, the deepest desire you need is to be filled. Is to is to be saved, and to know that I." Provided God provided the Savior of the world to us, to you, on our behalf. God wants you and I to know that so that we don't live spiritually surface level lives. Here's the question. Is Jesus enough? I want you to wrestle this week with that truth. Is Jesus enough? What if you don't get a promotion? What if you don't get any more money? What if you have to stay in that two bedroom with four kids, dang it. I'm just keeping it real, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. What if that's the case? The fact that God sent his one and only son so that you and I could be in relationship with him, is that enough? Do you have to keep comparing and searching for more? Contentment is your word for the weak. John 3.16 says it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. If God provided your greatest need, the deepest need that you could have for now into eternity... How much more will he provide for you? Would he not provide everything that you need? You got to trust him and be content with what he's already done. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for who you are and what you do. God, we love you. (coughs) Would you continue to excavate the idols in our heart? In Jesus' name, amen.